So I played out this idea and I started designing stuff for what was to become William Henry. And then I hit that intersection point about six months later, where do I go get this MBA? You know, go off to a fancy school and go into debt and do all that. Or do I play this out? I mean, it was really clear to me at that point that I needed to play this out. Not not that it was going to be the best economic decision I would make, but that it was something that I believed in and that I believed not only could I do really good stuff, but maybe in building a little company, I would have the chance to articulate or impress sort of my code of conduct and my worldview on a little bit larger circle and sort of bring my sensibility about how people matter, how customers matter, how you know, employees and I are all in this together. It's not that I'm on top and they're just, you know, getting peanuts. It's can I create not just cool product, but a culture that kind of reflected my personality. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible, amazing guest lined up for you today. I happen to love and adore this man and his company and their creations. His name is Matt Conable. He is the founder and chief designer of William Henry. William Henry is a company with its roots in the knife-making world that now, in addition to making some of the world's most beautiful and functional knives, makes incredible pens, writing instruments, money clips for men. Welcome to the show, Matt. (laughs) Thank you, Nikki. It's an honor to be here. And uh, the intro is perfect. God bless you, brother. God bless you. So listen, I'm a knife guy and I've been following William Henry and I own a couple of your creations and I'm going to be adding to my collection over the next little while. But not everybody who's listening to this show has heard of you and and knows how phenomenal you are. And I'll tell you, the people who listen to this show, man, they tend to be entrepreneurs. They tend to be people who have a desire to share their gifts with the world. They've got a vision for themselves and they listen to this show because they want to learn from great people like you. So the first thing they need to know is they need to know who you are. They need to know your backstory. So tell us your backstory, brother. How'd you get to be the great Matt Conable? (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't know about the great. I still feel like I'm just a, a guy stumbling along, putting one foot in front of the other. But um, but yeah, the backstory is grew up over the, all over the world. I was a State Department brat and uh, started school, started college back east, uh, fancy Ivy League. Uh, school and about a year and a half in, I just I just wasn't feeling it. It wasn't that I couldn't do the work. I just I wanted to be part of something that felt more. Uh, permanent and practical. And uh, an old knife maker out in California, I was out visiting some uh, family for the holidays and he, this is how it starts, right? He, he liked the way I played the piano. <laughs> and wow. as a result of that, he, uh, he offered me a job, <laughs> not because of my skills in knife making, gosh knows at the time. He offered me a job in this little shop he had in his backyard with, uh, with uh, three guys just making these 
I would say substantially more rustic than what William Henry does, but but beautiful, super functional pieces of art. And uh, I just looked at going back to school and studying boldface terms or being part of learning to actually make something that I could touch, that I could feel, that was beautiful, that performed, and that for the most part, with a little bit of care, I knew would be sort of a legacy of my hands and my work, um, and obviously this this guy, the leader of the company, um, far beyond our lifetimes, that made sense in that in that moment, and that's really all it took. So I I, I dropped out of school and came out and took this job for six bucks an hour as a grunt um, in his knife shop, and I, I could have never predicted that 30 years later this would actually turn out to be the thing that I did or, uh, or what's defined me professionally, but it kept pulling me back. You know, I worked with him for a little while, uh, learned the ropes, eventually did get a college degree on the way just in case I needed it. And then I moved uh, to central Arizona up in the mountains near Prescott and set up a, set up a shop in an old horse barn that was on this little two acre property that I bought, fixed it up and, and was a custom artisan. So I made knives from stem to stern, start to finish, and sold them at, through a few gallery kind of places, but mostly directly to consumers at sort of juried art and craft shows around the country. So that was kind of the, that's what got me into it. You know, and so I was like, since 22, and I was sort of starting my own business such as it was. And at about 26, I actually had risen the ranks really quickly, just turned out that I was a, uh, who knew, right? I had no formal training, but that I was a good designer um, and a good craftsman. And so by the time I was 25, 26, I was being juried into shows at the Smithsonian Museum of Art. I was being, you know, the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Some of the sort of the very top-notch shows around the country where they've got 300 slots and 2,000 top-level craftsmen um, competing for those spots. So, I kind of arrived mostly with craftsmen that were a full generation or two older than me, um, or craftspeople, I should say. Um, but in the balance, um, I, uh, I, was, I was proud of the accomplishments, but the reality was I could make more money <laughs> waiting tables. Um, sure. You know, as is often the case, you know, the, it's really a trick to actually make a living at what is, in the end, art. I mean, yes, highly functional art, but it's still art. Um, and I just sort of, I had plans for a family and this and that, and I, I couldn't really see it. So I tried to put on art shoes. I really did. Um, I moved back to the Bay Area, California. I took the GMAT. I uh, thought I was going to go get an MBA, applied to all the top schools in the country, and I sort of went through that process, getting ready to get hard shoes and, and uh, join the more normal working world. But uh, I was broke. So while I was waiting to hear back from these schools, and this is 90, late 96, I guess, um, I, uh, I put together a resume such as it was, and I just said, I, got, I need a job. I need a job for six or eight months just to pay the bills until I go off to grad school. And um, a Silicon, I was in the Bay Area. Silicon Valley was just spinning up, and the dot-com thing was happening. And so fairly quickly, I had three or four job offers in Silicon Valley in sales. No one could quite make sense of me except, oh, He's well presented, he's articulate, and he actually had to sell what he made so he can sell what we make. And literally the day before I was going to take that job, or a take a job, I knew which one I was going to take, and I, on a Friday morning I was going to make the call and go to work Monday. That night, this is sort of before cell phones, so that night, Thursday night, on my 
home answering machine was a message from a well-to-do knife collector who was a big fan of my work and had somehow found out that I was floating. And he was interested in being part of creating rather than just consuming. Mm. Uh, so I, I put off my decision for the weekend, uh, went up to his his place uh, here in the Santa Cruz, in the sort of outside the mountains outside of Santa Cruz, and met him and talked about it a little bit. And I just I just said, well, look, I again, this is how unstructured things, at least my story is. Maybe people have a more articulate plan in a lot of cases. But mine, I was like, look, I need, I don't know what number, $3,000 a month, I think, just to pay my bills, not benefits, anything, just, I, I, that's just to live. So if you'll pay me that, then I will develop a business plan around this one area of expertise that I have, which is knife making. And imagining taking what I could do with my hands and that soul and that warmth and that elegance and that craftsmanship and all of those things that caused people to pony up four or five, six hundred dollars for a knife that I made. But can I take that same intention and that same integrity, but scale it using technology so that it's not literally me and that particular weirdness of sort of my savant craftsmanship doing every single thing myself from stem to stern with an eye on, I don't even know if I knew what to call them then. But my instinct was gentleman's folders. It was elegance. It was, yeah. it was something that sort of tied back in time, like, uh, uh, but bringing all of the modern materials and modern mechanisms and sort of precision to a form that, that I could sort of get my head around. Like, this would have made sense 100 years ago. And I want it to be as good as it can be right now. And I want it to make sense in 100 years with no idea if what I wanted to do would work or if it would resonate. And I had, you know, number of people who were friends of mine and very knowledgeable who said, you shouldn't do this. You should go get your MBA. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not often one to listen to sound advice. Um, you know, I kind of, you gotta be a little headstrong, I guess, to be an entrepreneur. So, um, so I played out this idea and I started designing stuff for what was to become William Henry. And then I hit that intersection point about six months later, where do I go get this MBA, you know, go off to a fancy school and go into debt and do all that? Or do I play this out? I mean, it was really clear to me at that point that I needed to play this out. Not, not that it was going to be the best economic decision I would make, but that it was something that I believed in and that I believed not only could I do really good stuff, but maybe in building a little company, I would have the chance to articulate or impress sort of my code of conduct and my worldview on a little bit larger circle and sort of bring my sensibility about how people matter, how customers matter, how, you know, employees and I are all in this together. It's not that I'm on top and they're just, you know, getting peanuts. It's can I create not just cool product, but a culture that kind of reflected my personality. And that was 97. And by then I had the William Henry name which was my middle name and my uh, silent partner's middle name combined. I cool. didn't have a logo yet. Yeah, so the very first pieces in 97 and the first half of 98, we st- I started making stuff and I say we, but it wasn't we, it was me. So all of the first William Henry stuff was entirely made by me. And the, the logo at that time was just the, the name William Henry in an arc with 1997 or 1998 under it. And now... Who knew, right? But now those pieces, and they're rare, are hugely collectible. And every now and then we'll see them come up on eBay for 
six to 10 times what I originally sold them for. Wow. Which is, you know, and again, the, you know, I didn't set out to build a collectible brand or to build a secondary market. I just set out to do good work and do stuff that I was proud of. And again, sort of had that legacy of, look, look, I'm building things that for the most part are going to be here when I'm not. And they're still going to be doing what they were designed to do and doing it well. And that resonated. And honestly, uh, what is it, 22 years later, uh, William Henry, that still resonates. You know, I mean, that's still what dr- – that's still – is one of the primary things that draws me back as the sort of the creative director and the designer, but also the guy who's engineering processes and all of that. It's, I love that combination of form and function and art and utility and sort of aesthetic and, and materials and hard and soft and all these different things that can happen, whether it's a knife or a pen or a money clip or jewelry or other things that we're dabbling with getting into uh, that that original intention, the thing that caused me to drop out of school when I was 19 and take this job in this little knife shop is in fact still the the intention that draws me back day after day, or inspires me, I should say, day after day. There's a lot of gold in what you just said, Matt, and there's a lot to unpack. So let me unpack some of it with you. So first and foremost, you're a young fella trying to figure out which way is up. I've been there. Everyone who's listening to the show has been there, right? Yeah. And then you find through serendipity, through, you know, the purpose that God laid out for you, whatever you feel is the best way to describe it, you found your way to this individual, this gentleman who was a knife maker. And he taught you how to make knives. And you found that you had a talent for it. You found that you were good at it. You found that you liked it. You found that you had a passion for it. You developed an expertise, right? So in a way, you did two things. One is you created um, a skill set. But secondly, you created notoriety for that skill set, a brand, if you will, right? I I was at a, a branding workshop just a week ago. And the fellow who runs the branding workshop is saying, you know, boasting is what you say about yourself. Branding is what other people say about you. And man, that, that's been ringing around in my head ever since he said it. And I'm like, he's right. And I think about William Henry, right? To me, William Henry is elegance personified. It is some of the most unique, gorgeous instruments I've ever seen of any kind. Now, I'm a knife guy, so I bought your knives. I'm probably going to buy a couple of your pens because I got a Mont Blanc and some other pens like that as well. But (laughs) the knives, just like that, spear point Jerome. And and listener, go online, go to williamhenry.com and go to B12, and uh, which is the spear point line and the Jerome. So I bought number 132 out of 250, right? And I, I saw that knife and I'm looking at it, you know, and there was the ad in Rob Report, which I, which I cut out and put on my vision board. And my clients <laughs> listening to this saw me do it. And they're like, wow, that looks pretty gorgeous. Uh, it, but, you know, you got this turquoise, you got these gorgeous skulls, you've got the topaz gemstones, man. There's this intricate silver work. And then, you know, you got this beautiful thumb stud on the knife. I, I pull it open, and as I'm doing it right now, nobody can see this, but I'm looking at this gorgeous Damascus steel, and then I kind of lightly kind of rub the blade over my my finger, uh, and man, it's sharp as all get out, right? <laughs> so this thing actually can be used. I've actually used it to do some stuff with it, you know, because I thought, hey, man, let me just try it out. 
this is one of the sharpest blades I've ever encountered. And I own, I own Chris Reeve. I own some Zero Tolerance. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, those are some sharp knives, right? And yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it, it is. For sure. it, it, you're just as sharp as any of them, maybe even sharper. You know, and and that's to me, Matt. When I saw that, I'm like, this isn't just you know a showpiece. This is actually a working piece of art. But because it's it it it's so gorgeous and it's so different from a traditional you know hard use knife, if you will, it has you stand out. And everyone listening to this show, everyone needs to stand out. Your brand has to stand for something, right? Your brand has to have people go, I want that. I'd never met Matt Carnival. I'd never spoken to Matt Carnival before today, but I took a look at your knives and I said, I want that. And that made your sales department irrelevant. Now, I'm sure you've got a sales department. I'm sure you got a marketing department, but your brand was so strong, I bought. And I didn't buy once, I bought twice. I'm from Canada. So the, you know, the cost of this knife in America is not too bad. It's 2,500 bucks. But in Canada, it's almost four grand, especially Oof. after all taxes, right? Four Oof. grand Canadian, right? So I mean, yeah, you know, that's the most I've ever spent on a knife. But I was happy to do it. And I'm happy. I take this folder with me when I go to high-end events. When I run my own events, I've got my Spearpoint Jerome in my inside jacket suit pocket. And to Perfect. me, man, this, this is branding. This is thought leadership. It's another way we say that. An expert is someone who knows something. Experts are a dime a dozen. But a thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something and people seek him or her out. You, Matt Conable, you're a thought leader and you've got a hell of a brand. <laughs> thank, thank you. My, uh, my, my, my head might be swelling just a little bit. And um, I always... I appreciate what you said, which is I try to never boast. I try to do really good work, right? And let the, and again, when I started this, I didn't even know if it it would work, right? I didn't know if there was a business here. Um, I just knew it was something I believed in and I wanted to play out. And um, I think what you speak to is really important. And it's, it's something that William Henry has always struggled with. And honestly, I struggled with before William Henry when I was doing my own stuff, which is, I like things that are beautiful. I like materials that tell a story. I like, um, I like to imagine, okay, this is what I can do today. What could I do tomorrow that will elevate this art form, that will elevate the game? So I'm always challenging myself and, and others at William Henry to be better than we already are, to never get comfortable. And, but what underlies it? Right. And it was really important. It's interesting. Like um, my my silent business partner, who's been out of the company for a long time now, but the Henry of William Henry, his original idea, you know, he was older and seasoned and he had business experience and, and I tend to be a little headstrong. But in the early days, it was a lot of back and forth. And his idea was I design knives. We have a factory in you know, Taiwan or Japan or Italy or somewhere make those knives. And then we bring those made knives to, for example, silversmiths in Bali or something Hmm. and have them adorned, right? And then we present those to kind of the carriage trade. That was his idea. And there's nothing wrong with it. That could have been a perfectly viable um, business model. But I I kind of backed off of that. And this sort of speaks to your uh, your um, experience of how well the knife actually works. I backed off of that and I said, well, 
if we do that, anybody can do that, right? What makes us stand out at that point? It's only my design, right? And am I a good designer? Honestly, at that point, I didn't even know, sort of, over the last 20 years. You're a spectacular become, designer, buddy. <laughs> you're like, the, well, you're in a category of one. <laughs> well, th- well, thank you. But at the time, you know, it certainly wasn't clear, and I still feel like I have a lot to learn. And so I said to him, I said, look, I'm a knife maker. What I want to do is actually build, not design and have somebody else build, but build an amazing knife before it's adorned, before it has Damascus, before it has carved silver and inlaid gemstones and super exotic materials and all of the rest of it. Just strip it down to its bare essentials. It's got to be a great knife. It's got to be as good or better than any knife you've, you being Average Joe and not even average Joe, but it's like somebody who really appreciates the sort of art of cutlery and knife making as good as anything you've ever used or better in terms of how it moves, how it operates, how it extends from the hand, how it actually cuts, how it holds an edge, all of that, how it carries. If I build that and if I can, right, then we have a foundation that nobody else has because we have the ability as William Henry to make a a functional tool that is a step above. Um, and actually, Chris Reeve, who you mentioned, was one of my inspirations. He was already doing really precise, really finely made, They're sort of mid-tech price stuff. Exactly. Much, a very different approach in terms of design and much more driven by machine and less by hand than what I do. For but sure. Great stuff. And, and Chris and I have been friends ever since we went so since he saw what I was doing, because he'd already been doing his thing, and we still connect every now and then. But what's underneath it, what starts, is a really great tool. That is my intention, and that's what we built. And then we can dress it to the nines, make it the coolest thing you've ever seen, make it a conversation piece, make it a that response of, I got to have that. But what's important to me is that underneath that and before that and after that is this is a phenomenal tool. And without that, I just feel like I'm smelling smoke and mirrors, right? And so that informed the early days. It was super difficult because there was no model for how to take a truly handmade, custom caliber, artisan level knife and scale that into production. Nobody was doing it. So we, we, I had to invent how we do that. But my sense was if I didn't do that and I just designed cool stuff and had somebody else make it, then if I was successful, then some other designer would go to that same factory and have them make their patterns. And it's, it's really quickly a race to the bottom in terms of, yeah, this is widely available and we're just another brand, right? I'm just another guy in this whole category. And what's happened is to some extent, now this isn't entirely true, but to a great extent, certainly in the more traditional luxury market, we are the category. You are. And it's not because people it's not because people aren't paying attention. It's because you can't do this by going to any one factory with a great design and great materials. You can't build a William Henry caliber piece. You can build a production knife that has some dress up on it, but that's different from what we do. Hundred um, percent. You know, exactly. So that's the um what evolved from my original sort of that, that core DNA of the knife as tool and get that right. That was sort of the, the foundation on which I was able to sort of then build. And when I started, people said, look, you can't sell a $300 quote unquote production knife. You're out of your minds. Right. And we now 
if you look on our website, you know, we sell pieces upwards of $20,000. That's not our everyday sale, but, but what's become possible by sort of staying with that original intention and that original goal of integrity and replicating the highest level of craft, but in a scalable system where I could train other people to do certain parts, where I could use technology wherever I could and where I couldn't, we go back to good old fashioned handwork and basically take my little custom knife shop and scale it has sort of led to this, which is, you know, again, turned into a, you know, happenstance career. Hell of a happenstance career, if I may say so myself. <laughs> but, yeah, well. uh, you know, let me unpack some of what you, what you just said now as well. So there are many, many fantastic production knife companies all around the world, in the United States. I mean, Chris Reeve, yep. uh, his design, the Sebenza 21, is just a spectacular knife. He has dressed some of his Sebenzas up with some pretty cool computer graphic type art. They look really nice, yep. right? And he's got Damascus yep. steel on some of, them, some of them. And you could pay upwards of a thousand bucks for a Chris Reeve knife like that. And, 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 and it's a pretty cool looking knife, but it's not a William Henry. Right. William Henry is a functional blade, gorgeous blade. It, the level of craftsmanship, the level of detail on my Spear Point Jerome is, is unbelievable. I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. And, and the, these skulls, the, the, the silversmiths that you got to do this work, they're, they're the best of the best, right? And then you, you put topaz gemstones into the release button, right? So the the the, the lock. So when the, when the frame locks, so the release button, and then there's a piece of topaz on the thumb stud as well, and you've got gorgeous turquoise on the handle, and the lanyard, you know, has got these little um, silver clips on the end of it, right? So I look at this whole thing, and just carrying it in my hand, I feel like I'm carrying a baby, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a really strong, tough baby. And yeah. it, it's gorgeous. And I pulled this out at a couple of events I was at. Instantly, people were drawn to it. They're like, what is that? Yeah. What is yeah. that? I'm like, oh, that's my that's my gentleman's folder. It's it's my spear point Jerome. What's a spear point Jerome? They're like, wow, that's beautiful. You know, and some people, how much does something like that cost? And when I tell them, they, their eyes bug out, you know, but... Mm -hmm. The the people who appreciate this, to me, are people who appreciate the best. You have, from a branding point of view, you have carved out a space where if you want the very best, the very best in functional knife making and the very best in unbelievably gorgeous art, William Henry, there is no other. That is the brand as far as, as far as I'm concerned, as far as anybody who knows you is concerned. Like my lady, who is a girly girl, okay? Now she's, she set three world records running for 12 hours at a time on a treadmill. So she's not that much of a girly girl, but she's a girly girl, <laughs> right? All right. She adores your knives. She adores it. She, she tries to steal it from me, which I'm never going to let her do. <laughs> right. uh, might, might, might be a gift in the, the future there someday. Right? Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'll definitely go take a look at some of those. But they're fantastic. Well, that's, well, thank you. It's, 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 it's very high praise. And, and it's still, I mean, again, I've been doing this for a long time. But, um, and it's, it's interesting, right? And I would guess this is true for, 
for other people too. Like I make a consumer good, right? It's an, it's an end use product. It's not a chip or something that goes into something else. And you get stuck in a myopic vision of sort of the day to day, right? Of, of what's working and what's not working and issues and tolerances and, you know, new materials and R and D and design and all the rest of it. And every now and then it's really good for me to be able to step out, whether it's talking to you or going to a, you know, an in-store like designer trunk show event or whatever it would be out in the world to just remember and acknowledge how the work that we do, how William Henry actually matters to people, how much it resonates. It's not just about that they're willing to pay and therefore we can all make a living, um, but it really matters. And, th- and that's pretty extraordinary. And I guess that's maybe a testament to I mean, obviously the work that we do, but also that original intention, which was to hold on to what is truly really old world craftsmanship, right? Um, uh, but bring it into a much more modern context. And, and you know, look, I get a lot of pushback on the price. Like, and that is, look, we're creating a category, right? We're creating a category. Like, no, everybody understands. I will say almost everybody because it is the second biggest brand in the world, Rolex, right? Yeah. Coca-Cola, Rolex is second. So everybody understands that a Rolex is 10 grand, right? And for some reason, that's okay. You can get a Timex. It's 50 bucks. Tells the time. The thing is, there's a huge category over, you know, hundreds of years at this point for timepieces in this just baseline functional Right when there's lots of it, all the way to luxury status, and the the refinements and the subtleties of design and mechanism and durability over time and all those things, there isn't really. We're not a brand in a category, right? So when I look at a Rolex, and nothing against Rolex at ten grand, and I recognize that Rolex is Rolex, a huge brand, or I look at a Tag Heuer for two grand, and then I look at a Spearpoint Jerome from William Henry for twenty five hundred. Right, of which there will be 250 ever made, and they'll take us three years to make those 250 pieces, and nobody else can come close right now, ever has. I think that's an extraordinary value, right? 2,500 for what we're delivering is amazing, but it's also $2,500 for a knife, and people have a hard time getting their head around that. But our work is to stay true to the vision and say, look, we're not trying to make a knife for everybody. There's lots of those out there. You just go get a Swiss Army, go get a Buck, go get a CRKT, go get a Kershaw. There's lots of great stuff out there, more power to them. This is that uh, sort of that tool elevated to art form in the same way that you see it happen in luxury apparel, in luxury timepieces, in luxury pens, and all this other stuff. The interesting part of it is that we are right now, Chris Reeve kind of gets there, but he's in a little bit different market than we are. We're kind of a category unto ourselves, so there's no frame of reference. So Matt, one of the things that you just said that really struck me powerfully is that People push back on your price, but you charge what you charge because you value it. It's one of the things that I talk to with my customers, my my tribe, is that don't undervalue, don't undercharge for what you offer to the marketplace. Because at the end of the day, a William Henry knife isn't just a knife. It's 
a statement that the person who has this knife is someone who values beauty, who values excellence, who values the very best. And you made a comparison to Rolex. You made a comparison to this iconic brand. And everybody accepts that a Rolex 10 grand or even more, you can buy a $100,000 Rolex, right? And you refuse to undervalue what you've created. And that, I think, is a very powerful lesson, one that I preach all the time to my clients, that when you offer a product or a service, you need to price it at a level that's going to make you feel good, that's going to make you feel like you're you're worth it, your value's there. Because if you undervalue it, you're not going to feel good. And energetically, you're not going to put out what you should put out. If you don't get what you should get for the energy and the value you put out there, you won't give what you should give. Just that money's an energy exchange. And you've got to be willing to pay for value. And you've got to be willing to ask to get paid for value. And I believe that what you and William Henry do is something that everyone listening to the show can learn from. Well, that would be, you know, I mean, if we have, uh, if there's anything to learn from what we're doing, that's fantastic. As I say, you know, I, I, I feel like every day is a learning experience. And I think, you know, when it comes down to price and that, again, you know, when I started the, you know, the William Henry in 97, 98, 99, I mean, the range was like a retail was 160 to maybe $400. And, you know, there's some inflation, but a lot of it has just been elevating the art, elevating the art, elevating the game. And, and what, you know, your sphere point, Jerome, for example, right? That knife took us a year to make. It had 800 steps from 30 different artisans in wow. three, different, three different countries, nine different shops. It's a huge project to be able to pull that off. And the, what, what the glue that, that holds it all together, that sort of delivers that final magic is the beginning design, right? And the William Henry studio and all of the work that we do there, but that's what's involved, right? And, and you just see, oh, it's a cool knife, but to get there, and if there was an easier way, right? I'm always looking for an easier way without compromising the final product, the integrity, the vision, the design, all of that. But the reality is that's what it takes. And every single material that, that you're seeing on that is, I mean, every single technique is incredibly expensive and time and, and time involved and all of that. So it's, um, it's all in context. And so sometimes I'm amazed, honestly, I'm just being frank here, clear, that I'm amazed that people spend $2,500 on a William Henry knife. And there are other times when I look at it and I look at what it takes for us to do this on a daily basis. And I'm amazed that we can do it at all for at any price. And that's and that's sort of that, that that that's me being able to sort of step away a little bit, and without settling or resting on my laurels, sort of take stock and and sort of pay homage to what we do accomplish every day. Um, and that's that's sort of this dance back and forth, and it's always great for me um, to sort of hear that core level enthusiasm that I hear in your voice um, and in other people that fall in love with this, because uh, it it reminds me not just that there are jobs in the U S and that I'm making a living at it, but that it matters because it matters to me. Um, and it's really heartening to realize and to be reminded, uh, that it can mean so much to other people too. It so really thank does. you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. But honestly, uh, owning my spear point, Jerome, has been one of the highlights of my year. 
when I bought this and I received it and it came into my hands, I looked at my vision board and I pulled out the knife and I put it next to the vision board and I said, wow, I made this happen, <laughs> right? I mean, you made it happen. You built it. You created it. You and your team. But I made this happen. I had a vision for something fantastic for myself and I brought it into my reality. And why that was powerful for me is because it shows me, hey, there's a lot more I can do that's on my vision board. And why that's powerful mm -hmm. for me is because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. They tend to be more smaller, smaller entrepreneurs, folks who uh, maybe are themselves and one or two people, but all of them have mm -hmm. a vision to do good work out there in the world, to make a difference, to help alleviate suffering through what they do. And I know this may sound uh, a little crazy, but in my opinion, the kind mm -hmm. of work that you do actually helps alleviate suffering for the people <laughs> that see it because beauty is an expression of love. Beauty opens people's hearts to love, right? That's yeah. why like a beautiful woman or a beautiful man causes some people just to melt because it, 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 it helps you reach the divine. So in a sense, when someone gets to, gets to own one of your gorgeous creations, right? They're like, wow, their heart softens a little bit. It, it makes their day a little bit better, you know? And that's important. That's powerful. And that goes beyond, hey, having a, a really nice knife that looks gorgeous and you can cut stuff with it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And and to me, the people that listen to the show, the people that I work with inside my business, that's what it's all about. Look, in my business, I charge a lot for what I do. I got a three-day event, mm -hmm. it's 10 grand. Mm -hmm. I got a year-long program, it's 50 grand. If someone wants to work mm -hmm. with me one-on-one -on -one as an entrepreneur, that's 100 grand. You know, if someone wants mm -hmm. to, um, there's there's some stuff that I that I that I don't charge that much for because you know I'm I'm a I'm a divorced father and I had all that go through and I I can mm -hmm. feel for some men so I I do help a lot of men sometimes on a volunteer basis or going through that because God knows in this day and age. Well, when a man has had his woman leave him, it, it really devastates him. And I don't know if you know the stats, but 70% of all divorces are initiated by women. So it happens way more often to men that they're left than it does to women. I, 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 I know too much about that. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what, what happened for myself, and I'll just briefly tell you the story. I, I was married and, and uh, you know, loved my life, thought I had a great marriage, and then seemingly out of the blue, my wife decided, nope, she didn't want to be with me. We, we, we have two sons. One of them was born with a congenital issue. His windpipe was too narrow. They call it subglottic tracheal stenosis. He almost died a couple times. You know, we were both stressed out. I did not handle my stress very well. I got all, you know, angry and tough, and, and that just freaked her out. And there were people around her going, you don't need to put up with that. Unfortunately, there's way too much of that going on right now, people not standing for families and instead trying to get them broken apart. So our, our, our family broke apart. Matt, I, I felt lower than whale dunk, you know? I felt like I was a loser. I felt like I was horrible. There were days where I didn't know if it was worth carrying on. Not that I wanted to kill myself or anything, but those thoughts just entered my head. And I'm yeah. telling you, man, it enters way too many men's heads. There are too many men mm -hmm. that are hurting. I, I, I'm a volunteer in a men's organization. There's a men's organization here in Canada. It's the only one of its kind that helps men who are going through divorce and I can tell you all kinds of statistics. I've had some top thought leaders in the arena of men's issues and boys' issues and things like that. But what I can tell you is this, is that for me, it's important to own my value, 
but it's also important at times to give back. And I want people who listen to this to not undercharge because when they undercharge, they're hurting themselves, they're hurting their families, and they're hurting their clients. Because if someone underpays for a service or a product, they actually won't value it as much. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I take great care of my William Henry's. <laughs> a little different than my ZT or my Kershaw, you know, which I put through a little yeah. bit more abuse, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and that's, it's important for an entrepreneur to value what they do in the world and charge appropriately. And thank mm -hmm. you for giving the rest of us the courage to do that. <laughs> glad, glad to be, absolutely glad to be of service. And, um, you know, and I, I would say to that that, yes, I, I absolutely agree. And the other thing is it, it's a funny dichotomy because um, in general, I won't, won't say entirely, like I've got a, I'm a guitar player, so I can have a little bit of a guitar fetish at times, but my, my tastes don't often run towards luxury, right? And there have been points, um, and every now and there still are, where um, at a personal level, I can be a little uncomfortable with William Henry needs to cost what it costs. It's not an arbitrary number. We know how hard this stuff is to make. We know how long it takes us to make it. We know how much it costs to make it. So everything is founded on real value. But then I still look at the numbers, and, and sometimes I go, wow, that's a lot. But what I somebody actually pointed this out to me when I was on a little diatribe about it, um, just sort of how it, in some ways it's it's tough for me personally. And he said, "Look, he, she maybe said you you make amazing stuff at the studio in Oregon that goes all over the world, and people are willing to pay this real premium for it. And because of that premium that they pay, you're able to create fantastic jobs. You're able to capture that value from out in the world, and not just create." baseline minimum wage jobs, but the best jobs people have ever had in this town in Oregon. That's your little Robin Hood moment. That's why you're doing what you're doing and charging what you're charging. And that actually really made sense to me because that's always been uh, my my really clear intention with William Henry is to, to find people, um, not just you know out there in the world customers, absolutely, but to find people to work in the studio who kind of align with me, who believe in the same things um, that I do, and then give them not just a gig, right, but the best gig they've ever had, the place that they're never going to want to leave, sort of uh, both the pride in the work and the way that they're treated. And that's all enabled by recognizing that this is how hard this is, and it needs to cost that. And is it worth it? Absolutely. Is it a lot of money? Absolutely. Is it for everybody? Certainly not. And that's okay. You know, I've got I've got my little thing that I've evolved and that we've evolved. And what I love is that whether or not you can afford it or whether or not you ever would buy it, even if you could afford it, it's pretty hard to not admire it. And that's really nice. You know, I almost never there's almost never somebody who encounters William Henry and takes a real look at what we do who isn't kind of blown away, whether or not they're ever going to be a customer. And that's a great feeling. That is a great feeling. And how can you not be blown away by this? It's it's just the <laughs> most spectacular knife there is. Thank you. You know, here's another thing that you said, which I think really lands for my listener, right? In addition to charging what you're worth, the sign of a true master is that a true master never feels they've arrived. And you said earlier in this interview Nikki, I feel like I'm still learning. 
And I'm listening yep. to you going, that's how I know you're phenomenal at what you do. And you're going to keep being phenomenal because you want to keep learning. There is no there there for you. There's <laughs> just, I love this. I love the process. And I got a lot to learn. And boy, yep. that's phenomenal. I mean, for myself, I have a very similar outlook. Like, I'm pretty good at what I do, you know, within my own circle. I'm pretty well known for it. But there is a heck of a lot that I have no clue about, you know, like a heck of a lot. And that people listening to this show are thinking to themselves, hey, it's okay to be a learner. You can mm -hmm. be great and still learn. You can be great and still have a long way to go. So thank you for that as well, my friend. Of course, it is my pleasure, and it's and it's it's a constant. It's just kind of how I'm wired, you know. It's not. It's nice. I, I don't struggle for that, um, and I I appreciate been a, that I've been able to do this work that I believe in. And I appreciate I can still do it, and I make a living at it. But you know, my advice to anyone out there is success or otherwise, never take yourself too seriously. Because, you know, we can have we can have talent and we can have hard work and we can have vision and and we can do amazing stuff and 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 luck and happenstance and timing and all the rest of it's going to play a huge role and who's around you and when they're around you and just staying open and humble and it, you know as as when William Henry started it was me it was me in a room I had a garbage bag over my computer because next to my computer was my grinder and the dust, <laughs> oh my and, God. And the, literally and the, and the dust from the grinder where I was grinding my knives would w ruin the computer so that's how it started I did everything right and as it's evolved I've just kept looking for and sometimes you get it right sometimes you don't but like I want to find people that can work with me that believe in this vision who can get on this ride join the train who can do what they do for William Henry so much better than I ever could that I look foolish if I even step in, right? And continue to say, where do, where is my particular talent the most relevant and add the most value? And over time, it's just, it's not thinking that, that you, that because things worked out, that you got it all figured out, you don't, right? And constantly looking to other people to learn from and be inspired by and just recognize that, that all you have to do is take a walk in nature. Or for me, all I have to do is take a walk in nature and pay a little bit of attention to realize that I'm a really rudimentary designer and that I have eons to go, right? Because anytime I look at a flower up close, or a leaf that's just fallen to the ground, and I really look at the veining and coloring in that leaf in the fall, I realize that I'm a novice. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, but, but in that is that constant sort of inclination, that challenge to myself and to the company in terms of culture to be better than we were, to say, look at what we've done, but imagine what we could do tomorrow. And then can we bring that imagination and that, that boldness, can we bring it to life? Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, but never to say, well, clearly we're the best in the category, so uh, we can just sort of sit back and do our thing because we're untouchable. No, as soon as you do that, you're done. As soon as as soon as you do that, you're done. And it might take a few years for you to be done, but you will be. You know, I, you know, I guarantee you that Bezos is never sitting back. No, right? he, he's not. Right. And, and 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 at any level of a company, whether you're just a person in a garage working on a cool idea, or you're William Henry, some small you know boutique studio in Oregon, or you're Amazon, that 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 push to evolve, that push to challenge yourself, to do things better, to do, to solve the next problem, to come up with the next cool thing and then manifest it. That's, that's really what drives, uh, 
you know, the entrepreneurial spirit. And it's something that you got to fight for because as an idea becomes a company and the company gets bigger, it gets more cumbersome. There gets to be more architecture, more bureaucracy, right? You've got to really continue to leverage that entrepreneurial spirit and make sure that things don't start to stagnate just in the sort of the weight of the thing that you've actually built, right? Sort of getting your own ambition, getting in the way of, of, uh, of the creative process. And that's, that's an ongoing dance, but it's, it's a good one. And I've got really good people that, that generally get on board when I've got a really clear idea. So. Love it. I love it. I mean, just a lot of beautiful things uh, were were just said there. So I want to ask you a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, So you started off pretty much on your own in your garage, as you will, in 97. How many people are part of your team today? 42. Wow. Yeah. You know, for a knife company, that's a decent size. Yeah, well, I I will say that, um, yeah, I mean, it's what's happened is I start, I'm a knife maker, right? And I started in knives. But William Henry was always a name that I liked because it could be anything, right? It wasn't tied to me as a person, it wasn't tied to a specific kind of attitude that lent itself to like knives or guns or anything else. And, uh, and at a certain point, as we got traction in the luxury market outside of the traditional knife market, I really said, well, what if I can retain that original core DNA of the knife, of the sword, of the strange rock that I crawled out from under, but bring it to a broader range? And part of what's fueling um, William Henry and fueling it into the future is the, are the writing instruments and the money clips and certainly the jewelry, which are getting a lot of attention. Because, again, we're doing jewelry Women are buying it too, but more aimed at men, but it's it's for anybody who appreciates it. But we're coming at it not from the viewpoint of a traditional jewelry model. We come at it as knife makers. So our mechanism, our material, our design, our aesthetic, all of it is really distinctively different. And sort of expanding, taking that core DNA of the knife, of the sword, and all of what comes with that, and imagining how that propagates into a small boutique sort of lifestyle brand that's not traditional, that doesn't follow the traditional fashion model, um, really feels like that's where, certainly over the last five years, a lot of the growth has come. And it's, and it's been super, it's been great because it also challenges me constantly to truly new, learn new things. Because I'm not just doing the next knife. I'm imagining bracelets and clasp mechanisms and pendants and rings and leather goods and all of these other things and figuring out what, how do we take what makes William Henry sing what makes us matter um, and bring it to a wider range of um, of stuff that people can use that people can own that people can wear um, so that's uh, uh, but certainly starting from you know me with my garbage bag over my computer you know 42 uh, 42 people feels like a lot and I recognize that in the grand scheme of things it's still pretty small but I I, I never discount that I honestly didn't even know if this would work. And I figured even odds I'd end up getting an MBA after a while. <laughs> and here we are, one foot in front of the other one, right? That's fantastic, yeah. man. That's absolutely fantastic. I, I, I love it. I'll tell you, I, 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 while you were saying all this, I just had a vision of a William Henry a knife 
with God, with James Bond in his next movie. You know what I mean? Where he pulls it out and and, 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 he, and, and he uses the thumb stud and he just flips it open and he cuts something in a crucial moment in the movie. And, and people see that. Go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is that? That's so cool. And, All right. So, so Nikki, I, I got I got to follow up on that. I, I know we got to wrap it, but I got two things for you because sure. that, that hits two specific things. One, there's a movie from the early 2000s, I believe, called mid two, uh, like, I don't know, 2003, 2005, somewhere in there called The Matador. Okay. Oh yeah. Sure. Starring, the movie. Yeah. Star, starring Pierce Brosnan. James Bond. Who at that, at that time was James Bond, who, and if you watch that movie, you will see William Henry three different times and in the credits. And the way that that happened is Pierce, then James Bond actually was on set for that movie. And the, whoever the props guy was, pulled out the normal array of, okay, you're an assassin, so you need knives, so here are the knives. And Pierce Brosnan pulled his own William Henry out of his pocket and said to the props guy, my character needs to be using this. Figure out how to get it. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? So James Bond, in a way, did actually use William Henry already. Um, so that I just thought that was a nice little God. circle back. Of course, would I love to have James Bond in the James Bond movie? Yes, of course. But in fact, uh, it's really cool to see where this uh, where this stuff ends up. And uh, actually, next week, um, uh, next week uh, there's a new issue of People magazine coming out, and the inside back cover is a one page feature with Lawrence Fishburne, who's a William Henry fan for a long time, and there's a great shot of him in a suit looking as elegant as he always looks and on his on his wrist is a big is a big beautiful william henry brace that we made a couple of years ago so it's really neat to see stuff out there that's fantastic man oh yeah. man, i love it i love it i love it all right yeah. so listen we like to wrap up every single one of our shows by asking you as our expert guest for your top three expert action steps so your pieces of advice like kind of in bullet point form for our listener to take on and improve their life and improve their business. So what do you say? Man, I put me on the spot. That actually, that, that, that's like, you need a serious answer for that. Top three steps. So one, figure out what matters to you. Not what you think will sell. Not how you think you're going to get rich. What matters to you? Uh, because I really believe um, that... Um, that great work starts there. Uh, I really feel like the, 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 the economics of it are incidental to a vision that's really an extension of yourself. Now, that might be a little pie in the sky, but that's, how, that's what I believe. Two, and I think anybody would say this, make a business plan, right? And I made a very simple business plan at the beginning, but it, was, it started with a really clear vision of what I believed in and what I wanted to do. Um, and then I did the best I could as somebody who was an artisan, but not really a businessman, not an MBA. And I didn't have all of that structure around me to put some metrics together, to set myself some goals, to figure out what it would actually take to be able to get a paycheck at the end of this and then to be able to pay other people. Um, and, and, and three, I mean, I'm just going to come back to, uh, I think what, what's been sort of a central theme of this conversation which is never stop evolving, right? Stay humble. Know that you've got a whole lot to learn and constantly challenge yourself. 
to do what you do better and challenge your little business to do what it does better. And that's not just the product. That's everything. That's your accounting. That's how you serve. That's how you take care of customers. That's how you deal with shipping and receiving. That's whatever it is. It's keep evolving. Never get take pride in what you do, but never get too comfortable. Yeah, I love those are three fantastic expert action steps. And I like the third one the best, if I may say so. And one of the things that William Henry does, this conference I went to last week on branding, the theme of it was the power of wow. And the, the fellow who put it on, God bless him, he's, he's uh, someone I've known for a long time, and he came up with the concept, at least partially, because I actually have, uh, my better half works with me, and we call her chief of wow, because she's in job of creating wow experiences for our customers. And to me, William Henry embodies wow. <laughs> like you look at one of your knives, it's wow, <laughs> you know? And That's awesome. It, it, it truly is. And listen, if you ever find yourself wanting to take a trip to Toronto to come to a conference, uh, we'd be we, we, we'd love to have you here. It, it, it's the type of thing that we we want to create for people. And William Henry just does that through your DNA. So kudos, well done, and thank you. For- absolutely, absolutely, and, and thank you so much. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's inspiring to uh to talk to you and just to listen even to your to your phrasing around uh william henry i'm like huh i'm actually learning more about my own brand talking to someone who fell in love with it and that's great again that's the learning experience that i get that i want right it's awesome yeah Yeah, it's truly truly you're you're very welcome so here's i want to i want to speak to my listener for a moment so listener you're listening to matt and you've probably just fall in love with this man and and the way that he does business and his phenomenal creations. And here's what I want to say. You need to go to williamhenry.com. You need to check out what they make. If you are someone who would likes fine writing instruments, get some of their writing instruments. If you're a knife person, if you're a knife guy, you got to buy yourself some William Henry knives. And listen, not all of them are $2,000 or $3,000 or more. Uh, I think Forbes magazine put out an article saying that you had a one-of-a-kind piece that was $75,000. I remember reading that. That's that's pretty incredible. But <laughs> So far, that's the, that's the, that's the highest-ticket thing we've ever done, and it did sell. Um, but yeah, most I, of our I, stuff I believe is you. Yeah, I believe you. I I think you need to make a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar line. I'm just putting it out there. Just putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, well, don't don't tempt me, buddy. <laughs> you should, you should. And you know what? You ought to get your client in advance. You got to find someone who's a collector or some big Hollywood person, like a Brad Pitt type of a person, and say, "Hey, I'm gonna create, I'm gonna create the Brad Pitt knife or something like that." And they're gonna go, "Yeah, I'm in. Let's go." <laughs> you know? Uh, let's do this for let's sure. Let's do this for sure. Because I think I think your stuff's that good. But going back to the listener, listener, you're listening to this and you're going, "Okay, so 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 Matt's pretty cool. He's done some really cool stuff. How do I be?" the Matt Connable of my space? And that's a fantastic question. I'm glad that I thought of it for you. I'm glad you asked, as they say. And the answer is very simple. The first thing you want to do is you actually want to get on the phone with me. And the way to do that is go to uh, my website, ecircleacademy.com, 
and go to the button in the top right-hand corner and you will get my calendar. And what we're going to do is we're going to help you figure out what is your current brand? Do you have a current brand? And what do you want your current brand to be? And how can we help you get there? So you can be established as someone who cares and as someone who's got something valuable in, in the form of the expertise that you do and as someone who helps alleviate suffering people with the problems that you solve. Be it with your services, be it with your products. And I encourage you to take advantage of this because this is absolutely free. So you can do that by going to eastcircleacademy.com. I also have this new fancy website I've got called a 360 site. It's Nikki, N-I-C-K-Y, 360-360.com. That has all of my information, all my social media, everything in one place. So go ahead and take a look at that as well. And we've got this brand new webinar. And this webinar is all about helping you utilizing these techniques that we've talked about on the show around getting your brand nailed, getting your messaging nailed, and using that to add, you know, a quarter million, a million plus to your net worth, to your income inside your business while making the difference you were born to make. Because as Matt said, it ain't just all about the money. It's about making the difference you were born to make and making people's lives better. So, on that note, Matt Carnival, thank you for being on the show with me today. My friend, please come back anytime, and I hope you will come back. I absolutely will. You just give me the high sign. It has been my honor. Thank you, sir. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Matt Conable and his incredible company, William Henry, go to the show notes and go to williamhenry.com. Make sure you find out how to pick up some of his amazing creations. Once you buy one, you will be hooked. I'm telling you, it's going to be a habit and you're never, ever, ever going to be satisfied with something that's not as elegant and beautiful as William Henry. Until next time, goodbye.